Some of you may be confused as to why I'm up here. Uh, so am I. No. <laughs> No, uh, Pastor John, a couple months ago, asked if uh, I would fill in for him while uh, he's on his last week of vacation, so I said yes. Then I immediately thought, what, what am I doing? I don't have anything to say. No, but um, I wanted to just, as I was kind of thinking about and praying about what I would kind of talk about this morning and what I would just bring, uh, what words God would have me to say and talk about, um, I just kind of landed, I think, on something that God has just had in my heart and mind for a long time, something that's super important to me, partially because of just my personality. Um, I don't know if, if anybody can relate to this. I think when, when you think of making decisions and looking towards the future and planning for the future, there's, there's two main types of people. There's a type of person, like a guy I know who's really close to me. I didn't ask him about sharing this, so I'll keep private who it is, but um, he is kind of a just live in the moment type of person to really just live day by day, not really planning super for the future. Um, and just, if you know him, he's a really like outgoing type of person. Um, and when we were talking, he said one time uh, that a lot of that comes from actually his lack of confidence in himself and in lack of confidence in his ability to plan for the future. And there's people like myself on the other end of the spectrum that are big planners. I like to plan. I like to have a game plan and a system for, you know, the future and the decisions I'm going to make. But I'm the type of person who I cannot stand making a wrong decision. I cannot stand if I have two decisions and I'm really afraid that I'm going to make the wrong one. Sometimes that fear, and I've gotten better about this over the years, but especially several years ago, sometimes that fear would lead me just to not make any choice at all or just try to avoid making a choice, rather. I know that it's a ridiculous uh, example, but one time I was in a store, and it was like right after I got married, so I was on my big boy self going to pick out my own clothes for like the first time ever. And I... I went to the store and I had a few different options of things I could get and I only had a certain amount of money that I wanted to spend to get clothes and there was like clearance items, it was final sale, no returns. I was probably in that section for 20 minutes just trying to decide, should I get this one, should I get this one? I don't want to make the wrong choice. And in that case, there wasn't even really a wrong choice to make. I was just struck by the fear of indecision and not wanting to make the wrong choice. And I think that 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 can kind of be the case when we make big decisions in life too, life decisions. And so I've titled the message today, A Confident Life, and how can we have a confident life? And I think for us as Christians too, a question that hopefully comes up for us when we go to make decisions in life, especially, you know, we're entering a new year, we're thinking about what might be for the future, where we might be going, whether it's in schooling or in jobs or relationship circumstances. And one of the questions that we have is what is God's will for my life? What is it that God wants me to be doing? And again, we can come to this, if you're like myself, you can come to this and it can be kind of scary to think about. Like, I don't want to make a decision that's outside of God's will. If God wants me to do this one thing, I don't want to do something that he would not want me to do. 
And in youth, this is a big topic, especially as most of you guys know, but I'm one of the teachers in the youth, and especially if you either are in that youth group teenager age or you were at one time, you remember you got a lot of big decisions coming up, you know, relationship decisions, where you're going to be going to school, what you might want to do as a career, what you might want to do as soon as you graduate, just in general, a lot of things. And we, in youth, tried to help reinforce a mindset of God's will for the kids' lives and, and being open to and finding, making that an important thing in their lives. But of course, we know that question also stays with us for our entire lives. Life seems to be like a never-ending set of next things to get to. And so hopefully that's a question that we've had before. Um, and if not, maybe we can raise it and hopefully answer this question. And it kind of feels, like I said, like an overwhelming subject, especially for myself. Sometimes I wish that God would treat and handle me the same way I handle my two-year-old when we go to a grocery store, we go shopping. Um, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and both of them, but especially the two-year-old, if, and you know if you've ever had kids, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, when we are in the store, she's got to stay in the cart, because otherwise she'll be running all over the place. And if we do let her get down, especially like if Emily's there and I'm shopping with her and She'll get down, but I got to hold her hand the whole time. Like, okay, let's go down here. Let's go down this aisle. Oh, no, no, don't touch that. Oh, don't, oh, don't lick the floor. I mean, all these things that you got to tell a two-year-old. And sometimes I almost wish God would do that for us. Like I could have a direct communication. He's saying, okay, take this job. You know, marry this person. Don't get in a friendship with this person. Don't school your kids in this way. Don't do that. But God doesn't really do that in individual things. Now, he may lead us into individual things sometimes, but for the most part, we don't. And I don't want to make the wrong choice and be out of God's will. So that's a question I want to tackle today, because I think at its root, it's a lot like kind of everything in our relationship with Jesus Christ, though it's not always easy, as easy to execute, the answer to it is pretty simple at its root. Just like salvation, the answer for salvation is not do all these things and have this whole list. It's simply faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to root us in two main passages to draw out kind of what I hope to draw out today. I'm going to use an Old Testament passage, and I'm going to tie it with a New Testament passage because I think they're very much related. So to start, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 16. And Proverbs chapter 16, when I think of wisdom. I think of the book of Proverbs, and I think this is one of my favorite passages in Proverbs, one of my favorite chapters in Proverbs, really. And these first three verses kind of illustrate what we're talking about here today. Proverbs chapter 16, starting in verse 1, says, "...the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord." So the preparation of the heart belong to man. I think sometimes... We get too concerned with God's will for our lives in the wrong way. And let me explain that. You know, many of you know I'm kind of involved with our tech team as well. And sometimes you can be solving a problem and I'll be in a problem and I can't figure out way, the way things are routing and I can't figure out how to do certain things and I just get more and more stressed out. And sometimes when I take a step back and look at the thing as a whole, things start kind of coming into view and I kind of get the answer. And I think sometimes maybe for us, we can get so caught up in exactly what God wants us to do, what job he wants us to take, what school he wants us to go to, which thing he wants us to do or don't do, that we don't realize that maybe isn't 
the right motive. That's not what God is necessarily concerned with exactly. And we're going to see why and what he is actually more concerned with. So instead of uh, us waiting on him to tell us exactly what to do, um, there we go. This clicker isn't working very well. Um, he wants us to plan our steps, to plan what we do. That's what the first verse here, the first part of the verse says. The preparations of the heart belong to man. The plans of the heart belong to man. Now, does that, of course, mean that God never directs us to a specific life circumstance? Of course. We definitely, he definitely does, in cases, direct us to specific things in our lives. But the preparation of the hearts, the plans, the choices are ours to make. And that can also be a great challenge for those of us on the other end of the spectrum, the non-planners. Because just because we believe in God doesn't mean he's going to push us into everything that we want to do. Just because we have the faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that he's going to be pushing us through these doors. He's going to open the doors, but we still got to walk through them. We still have to make the plans. And just like with our spiritual lives and our fellowship with God, we don't become more spiritual by doing nothing. Now, God's the one who makes us more spiritual, but it's still up to us to be in his word. And we're going to kind of get into a little bit of that because the rest of this verse says, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So you can, and you should plan your life and you should make your decisions, but God's the one who's going to open and close the doors that need to be open and closed. The answer of the tongue, once you've made your plans and you're walking in them is from the Lord. God has the ultimate authority in our lives. So the question is then, what is God concerned with? If the answer is from the Lord, then that means he's the one who wants to guide our choices. Now, what that tells me, I think we'll see this borne out here in the rest of this passage and the next one we're going to go to, is um, that God is, what God is most concerned with is not whether you work at Chick-fil-A or you work at waste management services, not whether you go to public school or you go to private school. What God wants to know is, in the decisions you make, do you have him in mind? Are you relying on Christ for your decisions? God, here are the choices that I'm making. Now, as I go through these, help me to be open to where you want to lead me in these choices. Are you planning your ways with God in mind? Are we planning our ways with how we can be used by him? This is walking in the fear of the Lord. This is when, when the Bible talks about walking in the fear of the Lord. We're doing the walking, but it's in the fear of the Lord. It's in reverence of God. And God is interested, well, uh, I said that, but God is interested in your heart and in your mind. That's what he's interested in because everything then is going to flow out through that. And we'll see that this morning. Because I can tell you this too, if we don't consider God at all in our decisions, we're going to make bad decisions. It's like Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding, into my own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and then he's going to be the one to direct your paths. And why should we not lean on our own understanding? Well, verse two continues on and, and answers this question really. It says, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. When we decide to do things, it's because we think it's the right thing to do. You know, I don't know of anybody that's going to make a choice in life because they say, I'm going to make this choice because I know it's a bad decision and I know it's going to hurt me and I know I'm going to regret it in the end. Obviously not. We do things because we think they're the right things to do. But when we were relying on ourselves only and our brains limited by time and knowledge, we're going to more often than not end up making poor decisions. 
And I say more often than not, because like the old saying, a broken clock is right twice a day. You know, we may get into some good decisions, but it's really not because of our own doing. It's because of the grace of God that we make good decisions. Because naturally we know we're sinful people pulled in sinful directions, and sinfulness is selfishness. And so we make selfish decisions that not only hurt other people, but then hurt ourselves as well. And we know that spiritually a life lived apart from God is one that's lived in sin. And look what the verse continues to say. I read it a second ago. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. The Lord is the one who weighs the spirits. And this uh, spirits is this Greek word ruah. It means a person's spirit or his inmost being. It could also translate motives as well. So not only does the, the Lord know our thoughts, but he knows which decisions are right and wrong. And not only that, he knows what our motives are for doing them. He knows that even good decisions done with bad motives are not fruitful for us. Again, it's showing that he's concerned with what's in our heart. He's weighing what's in our heart. He knows what the spirits are, and it's why he should also be the one to guide us because he knows our innermost thoughts. And so what he wants to do then is found in verse three. Verse three says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts or your plans will be established. So these works that we plan, we're, we're told to plan our life, to plan our works. But then these works that we do plan, commit them to him. See God in our decisions and what he considers right and wrong. You know, the question is, before I do them, is there anything biblically that I know that tells me if this is a right or wrong choice? And hopefully as we grow in our fellowship with Jesus Christ in his word, we don't even have to necessarily ask that question because it's an automatic response that we know what God's word tells us about right and wrong choices to make. And then commit them. And the word commit here means to entrust or to give in charge or to roll. I like that word entrust here too. The idea being that once you have your plans, entrust them to God. God, here's my plans that I have. Here's what I want to do with my life. You know, how would you like to use me in these plans? And if I go through these plans and it's not what you would have for me, Lord, Show me the path that you would have for me to help direct me and let me be mindful of how you want to lead me. Work in my plans as you see fit. And the verse continues, so commit your prayers to the Lord and your thoughts or your plans will be established. God promises to lead us in the right direction when we trust and when we rely on him, when we consider his desires in the decisions we make and how he wants to use those decisions. Again, this doesn't mean that when we pray to God about whether to buy the house on First Street or the house on Jefferson Street or whether to take this job or that job, that he's always going to tell us which one. But rather, in the thing that I choose, in the thing that I do, am I seeking how God wants to use me in that place? Am I open to how I can be used by God in the here and now? And I think verse 9 sums this up well, too. So skip on down to verse 9. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We're the ones who are planning our ways. We plan our ways, entrusting our plans to God, and God's the one who directs these paths that we choose. God's the one who leads us in the paths that we choose. And if he has a better path for us, then he'll lead us when we're open to him. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself, it's not man who walks to direct his own steps. And this, 
especially for me anyway, is an amazing truth because it gives us great freedom and seems to lift some burdens off of us. We don't have to be scared that we're going to make the wrong choice, that God wanted us to work at Chick-fil-A and we're actually going to work at this other place or God wanted us to, you know, go to Pensacola and we went to Decoa or something like that. When our life is led by Christ and we live our lives relying on him, considering him and all that we do, God promises to direct our paths. And he wants to use us, he wants to use you and I where we are today. He wants to use us in whatever path we choose and whatever we're going in our lives. He wants to use us for his glory and to be a light to other people as well. God's going to open the doors that need opening. He's going to close the ones that need closing. Closing, And remember, like Romans 8 says, God works all things together for good. God takes the plans that we have and works them together for good, for our good too. I mean, and in contrast too, we shouldn't sit still either, you know, because God wants to use us. And what God wants us to do is to be open, to be ready, and to move forward in our plans so that he has some paths to direct. Because he wants to direct our paths, but he can't do that, obviously, when we're not doing anything and we're not planning or we're not making choices. And so we keep using, or I keep using rather these terms like considering God in our decisions or relying on Christ. But I want to answer what does that actually look like? What does that practically look like? Because what I don't want to do here this morning is to kind of preach a message with a whole bunch of like almost ethereal type of commands, like some bad preacher where in a 40-minute message, you're going to hear the plan of salvation being to turn your life around, to make him Lord of your life, to you know give your life to Christ, to cry out to him in this certain way, to pray this certain prayer, so that by the time you end a 40-minute message, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing a 180, and I'm bowing, and I'm doing the one foot in and hokey pokey, and like, you know, you're know, just not sure what to do. Um, because you have just all these ethereal commands that you're not exactly sure how to, you know, practically use. And so what do we mean when we're using these terms? And what does that look like practically? I think we could spend a lot of time, and I mean, you could spend weeks developing this whole thing, but I want to just kind of give a general overview. And I think Jesus does a really good job of just summing this up concisely, really with with one word and clears up what this looks like. That's kind of what I, where I want to spend the rest of our morning here this morning is in the book of John. And so turn with me to the book of John chapter 15. Because we talked about what we should do. And while our individual situations and choices will differ from other people's, we see that our overarching command is to rely on Christ with an emphasis and an idea of being close to him, we're called to consider and to seek him, to entrust to him all these plans that we make. So the question becomes, how can we practically do that? And John chapter 15, I love the book of, love the book of John, and I'm loving it even more as Pastor John is taking us through the book of John. And I think John chapter 15 is probably one of my personal favorite chapters in the book. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's not long before he is uh, betrayed by Judas Iscariot and sent to die on the cross. 
And he's kind of just downloading a bunch of information, all these things that his disciples need to know over the course of, I think it's 14 all the way through 16 or 17. And in John chapter 15, he takes a big section to talk about one really main theme. And I think this is where Jesus gives the perfect word to describe the how, the how we rely on Christ. John chapter 15, starting in verse 4, says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he uses this word abide here. And I love, I love this word. Uh, the Greek word is meno here, and it means to remain with or to dwell with. The idea of being close to and being with somebody. You know, you think of dwelling with, you think of a spouse that you're dwelling with, and you're living life with them, you see them every day, and you hopefully are in a good contact with them, good conversation and good um, relationship with them. And that's what we're called to do with Jesus Christ, to bear fruit in our lives and in the decisions we make, to be able to make the right decisions and to be able to make our own decisions that are going to be good decisions. Where that starts is not when we're making the decisions, but it starts before that. It starts with abiding in Christ, being living a life that is close to Jesus Christ. And he wants us to abide in him. And, you know, verse in this whole chapter, there's so much to unpack even in this, but I'm going to let Pastor John do that because he's going to do a much better job at it than I would anyway. But this idea, you know, that is that we should just be dwelling close to and close with Christ and abiding with him. You know, the idea is, like we talked about in Proverbs, that we should be dwelling with him so that when we, so much so that when we come to make a decision in life, two things happen. One, we are equipped with the knowledge of both how God would have us to respond in situations and guidelines for the decisions that we make given to us through his word. You know, God has already laid out the guidelines by which we can live a godly life and live a life in good fellowship with him. Everything we need to know is given to us through his word. And so we abide with him so that we are equipped with that knowledge, so that we're equipped with the knowledge of how to make these good decisions, as well as, number two, we have in mind how God might want to use us in the places that we're in and how he might want to direct us in our decisions. And that's about, you know, abiding with him. is talking about good fellowship with Jesus Christ. You know, we have the relationship aspect of our relationship with Christ, which is the moment we believe and trust in him. We are eternally secured. We're saved immediately, eternally secured, destined for heaven. But then there's this other aspect of our relationship with Christ, which is the fellowship aspect of our Jesus, of, of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the moment by moment, daily, you know, being in his word and understanding and getting to know him more so that we can have a good fellowship with Christ so that we, you know, we're listening out and looking out for the, the way he would want us to live both in his word and the promptings through his spirit, um, as well as just how we would be a light to others, how we can give the good news of the gospel to others. And abiding is how we do this. And in verses 9 and 10, skip down to verses 9. Um, we're told not only to abide in Jesus, but verse 9 here says, As the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. And how do we do that? Well, verse 10 answers that. 
And I'll put the verse up here on the screen too. So as the Father's loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So part of abiding with Jesus Christ is keeping his commandments. And, you know, we, of course, we know all throughout the Bible where God has given us different commandments, different ways in which we should live. And he's the one who provides the means and power to execute these plans when we're abiding in him, when we're dwelling with him. And this is why Jesus calls to abide with him. Part of that abiding and dwelling is being in his word, you know, is being knowing the things that he has already given us that he, and how he wants us to live. It's hard to have a good relationship with somebody that you don't know very well. And this is something that I personally, in my personal life, am, am always working on. But I think about an example, and when I think of dwelling with Christ, of me and my wife. You know, I could live my life, and even if I have good intentions of, okay, I want to do something really nice for her. Um, she works really hard taking care of our kids, and I just want to give her some time to relax and do something that's really nice. So I plan that we're going to go, you know, one night we're going to, go out and we're going to go to this expensive restaurant, this really nice sushi restaurant, and we're just going to get some really good sushi and just have a good time. But what I didn't consider was that I didn't take the time to get to know that she can't stand seafood of any type. (laughs) She does not like seafood. If it's a fish, she's pretty much, no, thank you. So, but I didn't know that because I haven't gotten the time, taken the time to get to know her and get to know her likes and her dislikes, the way that she likes to do things. She's also not a big spender, so it may not be her favorite thing in a most relaxing date if she knows that not only we're we going to this place that she doesn't like, but we're spending a ton of money on food that she doesn't like, and she doesn't like spending a ton of money. But I didn't know these things because I didn't take the time to find out her likes and her dislikes and get to know her. And it's the same similar type of thing with Jesus Christ. It's hard to do things that please Jesus when we don't take the time to get to know the things that please Jesus. When we're not in his word and we're not understanding what it is and how he wants us to live, you know, he cares about us and he wants to guide our lives. He said here in Proverbs 16, he wants to be the one to guide our lives because he cares about us. You know, it's something that we don't always talk about, but God cares about your happiness, and God cares about my happiness. Now, our happiness doesn't always look like doing the things that we naturally think that would make us happy, but God is the one who created us, and he knows us, and he knows the things that would make us the most happy. He knows what's truly going to satisfy us in our lives, and more than just happiness, what's going to bring us joy in our lives. And God wants to be the one to bring about those things. And so he's laid out the best ways practically to live and the guidelines for the choices that we make in life so that we can be the most fulfilled and have the most joy in our lives. In fact, verse 11 even says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So verses 9 and 10, we're told to abide in his love and keep his commandments. And verse 11, so that your joy may be full no matter what. He didn't say so that your joy may be full when life's great and things are going super well. He just said that your joy may be full in all of life's circumstances. And that's why we're called to abide and to dwell with him. And of course, we know it's a lot easier said than done most of the time. I know it's something that I personally 
uh, have to work on a lot. That's one of the bad things about having to teach, especially when I teach youth too, is like I'm talking to all these teenagers and I have a hard time doing the things that I'm talking about that we should be doing too. That's part of the problem with teaching. But it's something that Jesus wants us to do, to be most fulfilled, to have a confident life. God wants us to abide in him because when we're dwelling with him, we're abiding with him, the outflow of all those things will be the fruit of the spirit, will be good things, will be good decisions that we make. And then verse 12, he says this as well. He says, this is my commandment uh, that you love one another as I have loved you. And verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And we know that shortly after, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And so above all here, that's what we're called to do, to love God, to dwell with him, and to love others as well. That's, that's our two big things that we're called in our relationship with Christ. Love God and love others. And those things outflow and like in specific things go to, outflow to a lot of different things. But if you could kind of boil them all down to the two big things, that's what we're called to do. To love God and to love others. And here's, here's the great thing about that. And again, just for myself, thinking about not wanting to make the wrong decision. When I'm just focused on Jesus Christ and focused on abiding and dwelling with him, the good thing is that I can be used by him and I can do that in any situation that I'm in. No matter where I am in life, no matter what job I have, no matter what I'm, you know, where I live or what I'm doing, we can do these things in any situation that we're in because God wants to use us in every situation that we're in. The Bible tells us that God has gifted every single one of us spiritually to be most effective in the place that you're in right now. We can be used by God and he's gifted us spiritually to be the most effective for the body of Christ. And that starts with wherever you are, whether it's a job or whether it's a school or anything like that. And now he may steer us into something very specific if that's what he has planned for us, but we can still make these confident life decisions because we know that our main thing is to be focused on abiding in Christ. And then everything will flow out of that. So as I said at the beginning, God, God is not as concerned with what you're doing as he is with how you're doing it. Because when the how you're doing it is that you're abiding in Christ and that you're living, you're dwelling with Christ, then, and you're concerned about abiding in his love and therefore loving others as well, that you're in his word and finding out how to do that, all part of abiding, then in whatever we choose to do, we'll be equipped to make good decisions. And of course, we know we're all sinful people. We're not going to make good decisions and the right decisions 100% of the time. But when that's our focus, then more often than not, we're going to be making good decisions. And then God is going to be the one to direct us in our paths from that. God's going to close the doors that need closing. He's going to open the ones that need opening and direct our lives. And as John says, God is going to produce the fruit of the Spirit through us, and he'll guide our lives as we make our plans. And so what he wants you and I to do then is to make our plans and to live our lives while, most importantly, abiding in him. So if there's one thing I could sum it all up with, it'd be, I think, this. Plan the year, plan your decisions, love one another, and above all, abide in Christ 
and we can live confident lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just for your word, your word that gives us the direction for which we should live our lives. And I pray that uh, for each one of us, myself definitely included, that you could help us to just be better every single day about abiding with you, Lord. May we just find joy in dwelling with you moment by moment. May our minds be so set on you that when we go to make decisions in life, that it would just be an automatic response for ourselves that we are looking to you, we're entrusting our plans to you, Lord. May we make our plans, make our decisions that we have made while abiding in you. And may we also seek to to know how you can use us in these plans that we make, Lord. And thank you for this opportunity and pray that we would just go forth with our minds set on these things, Lord. Your name, amen.